This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Johan Berlin is CEO of Telex Institute, that's Transformational Leadership for Excellence. He specializes in working with CEOs, companies, and corporate teams to improve connections that they have to each other through techniques that promote mental clarity or mindfulness and reduced stress through what he refers to as adaptive leadership. We talk about how he learned these methods in his childhood and research on the many psychological and physiological benefits of his company's approach to culture change. There's science behind it, real science. It starts with the individual employee, which is a unique approach to culture change. And its emphasis is on Conscious breathing, mindfulness, connecting with nature, and meaningful, open relationships with other people. Sounds good, right? But we also talk about how he helps to overcome the resistance he often encounters when he brings these methods to companies. Johan and a couple of listeners who joined us on the radio show offer some really useful tips For all of us who feel bombarded by technology, 24-7 demands on our attention, and the stress that results from not cultivating compassion for ourselves and meaningful connections with others. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I'm going to ask you to please rate it and leave a review to encourage others to find it and to enjoy it too. So now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn about ancient proven methods for how to better cope in our stressful world and get closer to a sense of peace and harmony. It's Johann Berlin. Johann, welcome to Work and Life. It's really great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's it's great to have you here. So tell us, just to get started, uh, about, about TLEX, a transformational leadership for excellence, and how you first came to be um, interested in its central focus. So actually, I was, a, I was more of a recipient of these type of approaches when I was an entrepreneur earlier in my career. And uh, just trying to shuffle all the uncertainty, <laughs> give your 100% in the moment, be present to whatever opportunities or challenges were in front of you. And, um, you know, we learn a lot in school, <laughs> but one of the things we don't learn about is our own mind, our own emotions, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and how to manage those. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's, at least I grew up near the Silicon Valley during, you know, tech boom, the tech bust, and then again, the tech boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there was sort of this, there's sort of this myth or this ethos, at least, at least in 
in the circles that that I, that I was kind of exposed to, which is when you're tired, work harder, be better, hmm. push through, or or you know do all nighters on your couch, and that's that's and it's sort of glorified in some interesting way. And so, still, you th- is it still a part absolutely. of the ethos there? Absolutely. I don't really? know if you saw that exchange between Elon Musk and Ariana Huffington, but she said you should go to bed. Right. He basically said something like, "No, I can't." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's current. It's alive and well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so that lifestyle led yeah. you to think differently about what you needed to do or could do? Yeah, I think there was kind of twofold. What One was, what is a broader criteria of success? I mean, the, mm-hmm. they're, sort of the, they're sort of the external motivators. And I think this is more prevalent than ever now with these perfectly, I noticed uh, one, of your, one of your earlier guests, uh, author of Leadership BS, he talks about, you know, these perfect leadership narratives. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that, right? Perfectly curated LinkedIn profiles and perfectly curated everything. So, yeah, I think, um, I think it's, yeah, you, you definitely, you need to break through that. You need to be able to be vulnerable. You need to be able to be open. So yeah. a different measure or model for success, by that you mean... What? Well, that's for every individual to decide. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a there's a catch-all. It should, and in fact, it could be an open wonder in mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what what is sort of my highest meaning in this life, and and is it purely externally motivated or not? So that's what sort of drove me to these things, mm-hmm. and then realizing that in did addition- something happen, like where you realized, oh shit, I I have to make a change. Was there an event, a particular episode, or was it just like an increasing sense of being overwhelmed or what what was it that led you to think differently about what you wanted to do well i think it was early exposures in life so my dad mm. actually did his phd on meditation and guided imagery oh wow so um and yeah i, I so i was exposed to these things and kind of alternative approaches and you sort of rebuff them right as a, <laughs> as, as a kid so but many of the kind of eastern philosophies and and sort of teachers were were part of our household in the sense that it was part of my dad's psychology practice, part of my mom's practice. She was a follower of the Dalai Lama. He was a follower of Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. So I was exposed to these things, but I never, like I learned to meditate, but I never embraced it. Mm -hmm. And then I think later on, I just realized, uh, you know, I can thrive and also, um, I can have peace and be dynamic, if that makes sense. I can can, Mm -hmm. worry about the affective side of myself, but also have ambition in my life. And so- Mm -hmm. It just sort of naturally started happening, and as I matured, I guess you could say, <laughs> was the, that was the incident that happened. <laughs> I, I got a broader perspective on things. And so how did TLEX become? So TLEX was started by a larger organization okay. called the International Association of Human Values. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of work around ethics. They do a lot of work around business. Uh, that was founded by Shushu Ravi Shankar, and, uh, an, a, an Indian spiritual leader and global humanitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took over TLEX, I think, seven years ago. And um, it's been going well ever since. We, you know, we've... Uh, We've expanded. We've taught four credit courses at MIT, Harvard Business School. We've done lectures here on, on the campus of Wharton. Mm-hmm. Big companies like Shell. We won an entrepreneurship award for one of our clients at Shell. 
Um, what she, happened there? What, what, what was that episode or that that yeah, gig? What, what yeah. did you achieve there? Well, there was a there was a internal department within Shell called Game Changer, and what they wanted to do was bring disruption within. It's sort of this entrepreneurship idea, but mm-hmm. it was, it's based on a, a Harvard Business Review article called "Bringing Silicon Valley Inside," which was I think in 1992 or something, mm-hmm. when entrepreneurship was still like a kind of a new novel concept. Mm-hmm. And so they were tasked, and there was a there was a there was sort of a champion there who was tasked with how do we bring more resilience to our really great innovators who usually have a ton on their plate, even mm-hmm. with their core jobs, but they could be bringing lots of other ideas. Uh, and how do we kind of embolden those people, support them with resilience, and then how do we build social connection and trust so that people will actually bring those ideas forward? And so we did that around the world. Um, what did what did TLEX do to help them with that? Well, we well our model everywhere we go, but in, in in particular in this instance is we start with the individual. So so we most consulting is you look at well what is the strategy what are what are our goals mm-hmm. and then you kind of align everything from there right mm-hmm. you find the right talent etc. Uh, and we really look at it quite differently. We we go into organizations that have good system structure process uh, strategy, and then we say well how can we start with the individuals knowing that if I'm in a sympathetic response. Or if I'm in a kind of a fight-flight response, just to, to, to simplify that, versus vagal tone in a sort of open, expanded state. What did you call that? Vagal tone. What is that? Vagal tone. So the vagal nerve is one of the longest nerves in the body, mm-hmm. and it's connected with the autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you're in vagal tone, is there's a lot of research being done. This has to do with heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. But essentially when we're open, when we're flexible, you could almost call it an agile state of physiological functioning. It's mm-hmm. called vagal tone. Mm-hmm. And the strength of your vagal tone often is... This is a bit reductionist, but you could say it's almost connected with your resili- your 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 ability to absorb um, and your resilience stressors and, mm. and and your ability to respond. And so your vagal tone is something that you can change. You, you can, can you activate, can strengthen it, yeah, exactly. activate it, exactly. And uh, Dr. Dacker at Berkeley is working on uh, researching this, and and many other people. Actually, our mutual friend Emma Seppala has looked into this a lot. Uh, but one of the fastest ways to switch from what's called a parasympathetic or a sympathetic response to a parasympathetic is the breath. So sympathetic to parasympathetic means what? Means flipping from fight flight, fight or flight, which Mm -hmm. is the term we usually associate with sympathetic, and then flipping to vagal tone would be more of this uh, open, flexible state of functioning. And so one of the fastest ways, like say you're triggered, you've just had something happen, you Mm -hmm. don't like a particular person or meeting, or uh, you're just having a rough day in life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Something's going on with your kids. Uh, You feel you feel that kind of stress response coming on, mm-hmm. one of the fastest ways to flip it is to just tune into your breath. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and six seconds in, six seconds out, actually when my dad was doing his PhD, they had done research on this, and now there's, there's a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it can, you can literally change. And what's so interesting in this change environment is that um, people are constantly being triggered and these kind of the, the, these sort of transformation that's happening everywhere, right? Because we don't like uncertainty. We know from from neuroscience, the brain is wired for safety first. 
So finding ways that are inbuilt ways to flip into vagal tone is really helpful, particularly if you're taking on big challenges like an entrepreneurship would be in the case of Shell. All right, so back to Shell. So, yes. So they've got there's a solid organization there. Amazing, you're, yeah. You're helping individuals to learn how to activate their vagal tone. That was the intervention? That and around building more human and social connection, more social resilience, you could say. And how did you go about doing that, the essence of it? Well, so the, these, are, these two things are actually connected. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if, we're, if, we're, if we're feeling threatened or we're feeling stressed out, we're more likely to have conflict. We're more likely to have a narrower perception of situations and people and, and lean towards safety first, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if we're more Which open- means putting up defenses, closing off. Exactly. Exactly. Seeing intention and other people's mistakes or, yeah, just mm. jumping jumping to conclusions because, yeah, that, that's sort of how, that's how we're wired, right? Mm-hmm. So by helping people be more open, more expanded through increasing vagal tone, we can then create a container. And uh, Barbara Fredrickson talks about this upward positive spiral, I believe she calls it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can you can create a, a much better container uh, where people feel safe to interact and then they can connect with each other. And the way we do that is just through sharing human moments and mm-hmm. uh, like about our lives and a, in a very non-curated way. So in the opposite of what I was talking about with the perfectly manicured life mm. and the sort of perfect link, it's, you know, what were the ups and downs? And um, and you'd be amazed what, what kind of goodwill that built and, and how reluctant people are to do it at first. So how do you help people to overcome their resistance or their, their fears of uh, engaging in this kind of work? Well, it's a, it's a it's a dual effort really in companies because the context matters, right? As as in anything, and I think really the way that you create that environment as companies is by socializing leaders in that, or or really supporting leaders who naturally do uh, create those kind of containers. Um, so I've had the privilege of working with some really great leaders in, in, in notoriously tough companies, and 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 creating a space where people people can be a little more open, they can be a little more vulnerable, they can have sort of human moments. Um, can you give us an example of a of an episode that comes to mind? Uh, yeah, that that would help listeners understand like how you go about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll I'll give an example with Amazon. So okay. so there's a there was a leader there. He was the head of product and marketing. His name's Louis Gagnon, and uh, he grew Audible from. I think it was two hundred million to a billion in a two year period, uh, just in revenue. He was the head of product and marketing, but. Essentially, we're running a lot of it because it is a product and marketing operation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was having some conflict on his team. Uh, it's uh, as as I said, Amazon is a notoriously tough culture. Yes, it, it, they encourage it, and and of course, there are healthy aspects of conflict. Um, and but it can also have a point of being counterproductive. Yes. For the reasons I was mentioning earlier, and just... as the New York Times exposed <laughs> a, uh, somewhere that, two summers ago, I think it was in a in a series of articles, really digging into the the culture there. So, so yeah. what did what? So what we was took, your work there. So, so we took the team, and this there's actually a, a, a HBR article on this, but we took the team to upstate New York, 
And this is a notoriously kind of uh, results-driven leader, right? You have mm-hmm. to be <laughs> to, to kind of keep keep anybody's attention in Amazon. You have to be showing that you're you're okay. really looking for more exponential growth. Can't and wait to find out what upstate New York has to do with this. Well, just we just went to Up a, to the mountains. Uh, yeah, we went to an offsite, and he said we're not going to do strategy, we're not going to do process. We're just going to breathe. We're going to connect. He said that? Uh, the, the leader, yeah, Louis said that. He said, we're going to breathe. We're going to connect. And Johan's here to do it. <laughs> and so literally, we spent two, two days uh, just connecting and breathing, and it and it, it had a great effect on the team. And, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, we're so geared toward efficiencies in our, in our business models, so, uh, efficiencies and exponential growth and, and these sort of things. But... Um, at a certain point, it can have a diminishing return. Of course. And, and so just focus. So what he realized, I just need to focus on the how human he, side of this. How did he come to understand that, though? I think we he had, we have really great net promoter scores. So I think one of his employees had said, you <laughs> you should you should meet Johan. And he was uh, novel enough to give it a try. <laughs> I see. He was looking for help. He knew yeah, that there was a problem. He was open. I think he was open mm-hmm. to, to, to different approaches. And so... The, the fears or concerns that people have about revealing themselves or engaging yeah. in the work of uh, well, looking within and revealing yeah. uh, aspects of, of their, their lives, their history. Yeah. How do you help them with that? I, I think one is when you can create – people feel when you create a safe container and whenever you're really there for them. So when you say container, yeah. some people might not know yeah. what you mean by that. Can yeah. you just yeah. describe in a little bit more – detail what that means? Yeah, well, we've all walked into a room where maybe a fight was happening or something, and you can feel this is there's some tension in this room, mm-hmm. right? In that context, that would not be a safe container mm-hmm. to, to sort of be open. <laughs> or if somebody has a deferring opinion and they get smashed by the leader, uh, mm-hmm. that would be a really unsafe container, so mm-hmm. to speak. So a, a lot of what I really pride our work on is that um, we're certainly there for the companies that hire us, but whenever we're in the room with participants, we're also just fully there for those participants. There's not a there's not just a, a business objective. There's the people in front of you, mm-hmm. and I think whenever when you come with that sort of service mindset, uh, I think people authentically feel it. It's maybe it's your non conscious cues, maybe it's something else. I don't I don't I don't know, but I, I there's something about the way you set an environment, and then um, and then I also think when you have effective tools and people are ex- starting to experience that. Um, it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the benefit starts happening as a throughput, as an output, versus you kind of trying to explain it or, or create it. And, and yeah. So where do you start? Breath yeah. is, uh, tuning into the breath and yeah. focusing on breath is, is critical. Yeah. Is that where you begin? Yeah, that's exactly where we begin. And it's innate with all, we all, <laughs> we're all breathing, right? And we can breathe voluntarily mm-hmm. <laughs> or we can breathe automatically, right? And uh, it's, it's innate and it's, it's calming. Now, you, you may have noticed this with babies, like how they breathe to calm themselves at different times, different breaths, mm-hmm. different times. Or if a, if, a, if a child's angry and they make the sound, hmm, you know, to, to kind of, when, when they're mad and they put their fist down, uh, it's naturally, that's a naturally calming breath, um, there's also a link between breath and the emotions. So there's been research on this, mm-hmm. uh, right? They've they've taken people and given them stimuli, and uh, happy movies, sad movies, romances, and then and then they've tracked their breath, 
And then they've taken people without the stimuli and given them those same breath patterns and if those feelings were stimulated. Um, so there's this link between between the breath and our, our, our vagal tone and also the breath and our emotions. And so the uh, structured breathing can have a can have a very powerful effect on us. Indeed, and that is the basis of much of what mindfulness meditation is all about. Yes. And so I'm sure you must encounter a lot of skepticism and um, yeah. we're going to be singing Kumbaya here. And so, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. you know, that sort of eye-rolling when yeah. you first begin. How wh- what, what do you do to engage people so that they can feel comfortable um, to, to, to participate and to then start to derive the benefit from, I'm sure there's, it's breathing and then yeah. dialogue discussion yeah. That, yeah. that 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 built on this essential idea of tuning into of course what is uh, essential about you yeah so i think i think uh, we we really pride ourselves on meeting people where they are so we're not <laughs> I mean, now you'd be you'd be surprised though how open people are to this in companies now especially the silicon valley in fact we're <laughs> we're probably more traditional <laughs> than a lot of the, the the folks who are doing meditation in, in companies because we're coming in with powerpoints and we're 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 in suits and uh-huh. and uh but we start really with the mind and stress so 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 sharing what we know about the mind and stress and mm-hmm. and and what I think is very powerful and 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 motivating change and behavior change is self observation. So we give people time to reflect on these different topics of like good stress and bad stress and mm-hmm. you know what are their triggers and and and, and because otherwise you're talking theoretically about these topics mm-hmm. and when you're introducing them now the things are top of mind that are in their life that are real that are tangible. And then we're we're saying, look, let's try these let's try these approaches. They're time tested. Mm-hmm. Um, they've worked for many people. See if they'll work for you. And mm-hmm. and what we found is that people love it. <laughs> and I saw, to be honest, seven years ago we did reach more skepticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say it was it was a little bit tougher, but um, on balance, it's, it's it's more than on balance. It's been really well received and. I think that's uh, – it, it was interesting. I was once called to do a, an interview on major magazine, and and they asked, uh, well, we heard you create compassion in companies, and would you tell us and give us some company names and this and that? I said, no, I won't do the interview. And and they said, why? And I said, because then it's a, then I'm going into these companies with an objective. I have an agenda around compassion or meditation. Mm. That should be an output. That should be an output of really great uh, of me delivering a really great program, or our team, or one of our faculty delivering a really great program. I don't need to kind of put that in their face. It should, if they feel more altruism, if they feel more human moments in elevation hmm. at work, then that's good enough for me. <laughs> and and is that what you observe? And do, have you been studying the impact of these interventions on? Yeah. Uh, Learning how to focus on what's inside and one's breath and uh, the relationship between stress and uh, interventions like the ones you're describing here to help to deal with stress. Have you, have you seen results in terms of the impact on performance? If I, I hope you'll answer this question, Johan. Yeah, that, and that I'm not asking you something about, um, <laughs> you know, an objective that you might <laughs> Yeah. Not go into an organization asking about, but yeah. of course, 
We're interested uh, in, in the impact of this work. Yeah. What do you know about that? Well, quite a bit. And there's a and, and I'm not a researcher. I should just disclose that. But there's a long list of researchers who are, uh, you know, uh, Richie Davis, uh, Daniel Goldman, uh, Dan, Dan Siegel. There's a. You know, my dad, my my dad's best friend, did his PhD on meditation in the in the in the in the in the seventies. So there's a long list, and you know, uh, of of sort of research. But the approaches that we do have been through thirty five, uh, stu- more than thirty five studies, but thirty five, you know, peer reviewed studies. Mm-hmm. So so you could you could say there's that's pretty good data, in in the approaches that we're bringing. Um, but the overall in the field, absolutely, you can see. You can see outcomes. This is a tricky conversation, and and particularly within this space, because on the one hand, you could say like, well, you're just giving people these techniques so they can be more effective to earn more money, and it's not or really to pursue <laughs> success in ways that might not be true to what they really want. Yeah, uh, the ex- LinkedIn profile, I- exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Like I can, I, and and you run into this. I can mm-hmm. meditate so I don't have to sleep as much, and mm. and and. It's no mystery. The military's looked into this. Like, mm-hmm. Could our Navy SEALs meditate? Mm-hmm. Because they're getting deep restorative. I think it was Keith Wallace in the 70s did it, mm. uh, TM a study and found that heart rate variability, breath, and I think it was skin tension was uh, you're basically in a deeper state of race, rest and sleep mm-hmm. when you were meditating. You're not mm-hmm. getting your sleep cycles. But so there's this. But you could see why Navy SEALs would want to be- <laughs> benefit from that. <laughs> yes. So what's wrong with that? Uh, nothing as long as the intention isn't just to make people work harder, do better <laughs> and when they're already doing so much mm-hmm. and, and, and instead of just uh, taking time to also enjoy life. But to answer your mm-hmm. question specifically, yes, we have seen ROI. Like, and mm-hmm. we've had companies say, this is a little soft for us. Um, we want to measure independently. We want to look sure. at it. Yeah. So we've had internal economists at pharma companies and other places. And we found, uh, for example, one cohort, they had estimated internally that uh, from a two-day intervention with uh, um, a few follow-ups, some $200,000 in cost savings to the company, mm-hmm. inefficiency and productivity savings. Yeah. So, um, Johan, you wrote a piece called Human Leadership in a Distracted Digital Age. Uh, what was the big idea in that piece? Well, one is just uh, seeing how we're grappling with <laughs> with this invasive technology in our life that, you know, it used to be um, uh, work. We left the office and then <laughs> we were we were home. Right. Mm-hmm. Or at least maybe our, maybe our minds were. But at least our bodies were home and we were fairly uh, able to focus on 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 the other aspects of our life. And now those boundaries are totally gone. Right. And uh, basically our brains are hijacked. Our, our brains are bombarded. And, and even the types of things we're thinking about, um, you know, uh, worrying about work emails, worrying about social media, going on these digital journeys where uh, in the article I cite that this is by design. All yes. of these guys are fighting for your attention. Yes, but I know that they're yes. kids. Yes. I, I've seen research and articles, popular press pieces yeah. on yeah. how the you know the, the masters of the digital universe are not allowing their kids to be so hijacked because they know yes. the costs. Yes. So so what what does your piece say about how um, how we can try to protect ourselves yeah. and activate those aspects of our minds and bodies that can buffer against or build buffers against those those 
very super modern pressures. Yes. So so I give kind of a threefold approach at the Good. at the end of the article. The first is um, honoring yourself, like honoring your own mind, your own emotions, taking time to just decompress and, and, and sort of be with yourself. Uh, the second is connecting with others, taking time to have, we know um, through longitudinal research and, and many studies that connections with other people, meaningful relationships are one of the, the greatest indicators of a happy, meaningful life. And then the third is mm-hmm. just practicing other types of approaches that don't include technology, habituating them so that uh, we can build patterns around those those things and such as well i to the the bigger point in this is actually where we mm. put meaning so like like noticing that if we're if we're constantly caught up in a digital journey or or sort of uh that's constantly what we're reinforcing through our habits then our world is going to be online and you see this right people are living a digital experience to a large extent, especially when you talk about kids. Mm -hmm. So nature uh, is a great one. uh, uh, Our mutual friend Emma and I wrote an article in HBR on the benefits of being in nature Mm -hmm. and the effects that that has on you. And Mm -hmm. um, so (laughs) making a practice of honoring nature, getting Mm -hmm. in a car, driving there, and going in and and being device-free and and, Mm -hmm. and receiving those benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one example. I go for a walk every day in uh, a botanical park in my neighborhood with uh, one of my kids and you know it's just the two of us talking and saying hi to our neighbors <laughs> and connecting with yeah. people and with each other and it's yeah. uh, it's a really, really important uh, restorative part of my day <laughs> yeah yeah so it's small things and I think mm-hmm. that's what's that's what's uh, very powerful about these things it's not like they're unavailable to us or we have to go spend a lot of money mm-hmm. to, to go do them um, but now we need to be reminded by experts like you to, to take <laughs> to <do> care <laughs> of ourselves and simply to go yeah. for a freaking walk <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. come to that we've got Bridget calling from Boulder, Colorado hey Bridget, welcome to Work and Life Thanks for having me. I love your show. Thank you. So I wanted to call in with some things that I do for stress. I own a very busy company, and I've done this for the last 20 years. And I've created some strategies that help with Can, stress. Wait, back up, Bridget. You, you you broke out there at the beginning. You were on what kind of company? Oh, recycling. I own a recycling oh. business. Got it. So Can you were saying right? about what, what you've learned in your experience. Um, please yeah. continue. So, um couple I do not email before I go to bed or when I wake up in the morning mm-hmm. I've gotten way better at controlling it when I answer people um, creating that that's reduced stress a ton um, I live up in the mountains at 9,000 feet so absolutely the hiking is really important just being outside nice. even if it's just weeding in front of my house you know mm-hmm. on the walkway <laughs> the front door weeding the- by that you mean exactly what Bridget Weed, pulling weeds out. Oh, okay, got being, it. Being in nature, like actually being a part of it. I got Instead it. of just looking at it and mm-hmm. just sticking your head out the window every once in a while. And then I listen to business radio every time I'm in my truck. Going to have customers or driving to work, it takes me 45 minutes. That days. is an incredible recipe for <laughs> mindfulness and a stress-free and life. Totally helps. I know all, all the shows. I literally, it's such an honor to be on here talking with you because <laughs> you guys just totally helped me out. 
Bridget, you're amazing. Thank you so much for that comment. Uh, is there a question or an observation you want to share with uh, Johan Berlin? No, I'm just really excited to hear what he has to say. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks so much for calling in, Bridget. Really appreciate it. Robert is calling from New Orleans. Robert, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Great. We're talking about stress. Yes. And what people do to reduce stress. So once a week I take 50 to to $100 and I pay somebody to do something I don't want to do. <laughs> I run okay. I, I run a I run a small uh, commercial real estate business in New Orleans. So I do everything from answering the phone to designing the website to accounting and marketing. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's never I, I never finish everything. So of I start not. my day with there's always something on the what, farm. What what am I going to do today, knowing that I'm still going to have a week's worth? of work at the end of any one day mm-hmm. and that drives me crazy hmm. so so what has helped is to define the things that might be important but not urgent hmm. and there are lots of uh, virtual marketplaces out there and i'll put together a simple scope of work and have people bid on doing um, various jobs sometimes i'll find somebody that uh, is retired to do some work from time to time. Uh, and that having, not having to do those uh, non-urgent but still mm-hmm. important things that might pay off down the road mm-hmm. for a small business owner is, is really, I think, a, a good way to reduce stress. It, it eases your mind in some way. Johan, what do you think of, uh, of Robert's practice? I love it. And, uh, and the way I would, I would summarize that is, is discernment. 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 Discerning what's important and what's not. Discerning where we put our attention and where we don't. And I think that's also a lot of probably what, what your show is about, discerning what are the things that really matter in life. Mm-hmm. And and so certainly in business, that's the case too. You you have to be able to discern you know which things. So do you have a question for what Robert's doing or an idea that might help him to use his method uh, perhaps uh, in, a, in an even more robust way? It sounds like it's working for him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just Robert, keep going with it. That's that's a great idea, and it really does speak to the importance of easing your mind and, and reducing the pressures of things that you can, well, that you can offload and you know at a low cost. Um, so thank you very much for sharing that. I, I'm sure a lot of people listening are, are taking note. Really appreciate your calling, Robert. Thanks so much. You know, in, in your travels, Johan, uh, throughout organizations, what's, what's the one thing that you see that your, um, your approach is, is most directly helping people to deal with? What, what's the, the biggest pain point that uh, that occurs to you that you run into on a, on a regular basis that you are have been able to to help people to overcome. I, I think the probably that one of the greatest out, out, outcomes of of the work that we do is just a sense of feeling that we belong. Like mm-hmm. and and so part of that, that 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 sounds like something that's in a social context, but part of that is also just with ourselves. Like when we feel anxious. When we feel stressed, when our mind's racing, when we're thinking about the future all the time, mm-hmm. uh, or <laughs> when we're perce- perceiving situations in a very narrow stress context, like mm-hmm. 
often we don't feel at home anywhere, right? Or Including comfortable in ourselves. with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so that ability to just feel that we belong, to feel that we can just be present with whatever's going on. It's interesting, you know, the first time you, t- you, you, you kind of get into these restorative techniques with, with mm-hmm. a large group, usually what they notice like oh my neck hurts, <laughs> oh I feel a little tired, <laughs> or or oh you know they 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 just it's like a train slowing down. They just become aware oh. of whatever was already going on for you them. Mean, they hadn't noticed the neck pain. They hadn't prior even to noticed whatever was going on. Slowing down to yeah, just breathe. So, you know, and of course they feel fresher and everything like that. But they also notice they become more attuned to just being present with themselves and. And so I think, and then it also comes in a social context. Uh, um, the, the sense of belonging. This, this How feeling does that of belonging. change? Yeah, because well, so many people suffer uh, the affliction of loneliness and yes. alienation in this world, despite the yeah. hyperconnectedness that we are uh, imagining we're supposed to feel <laughs> on Facebook and yeah. other social media. Yeah. How, how is it that your work helps people to, yeah. to feel less disconnected? Yeah, yeah, well... As I said in the beginning, understanding we're, we learn a lot of things in school, but we don't learn about our own mind, our own emotions. So that that ability to understand that self discovery about navigating those things through through these different types of practices give us tools to 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 kind of recenter and refocus. And indeed, what you're saying is right. We're more connected than ever, and social isolation is at a you know compared to 20 years ago is much higher. So how does what you do help people to overcome that? Yeah, can yeah. You, can you give us an example of how someone might feel a little less lonely, a little more connected, a little more belonging to yeah to the world beyond themselves? Well, part of it is the the group interventions we do. So there's a there's a compo- there's a component within that, but then there's another aspect to this, which is that uh, you know some research suggests that 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 our sense of connection is subjective. It doesn't actually have to do so. For example, I could I could believe that a lot of people that 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 I belong and I feel connected to people and that they like me and I have the subjective sense of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I could I could get the benefits of social connection. Vice versa, I could have be uh, surrounded by adoring people and not believe that, mm-hmm. and not believe that I belong or that I'm worthy or any of these things, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm getting the negative benefits of social isolation, even though it's even though it's prevalent in my life. Social support is available to you in surrounding. So how does a a mind shift to become more aware of what's true? Yeah, well, I think it. I think it varies. (laughs) I I wouldn't want to give a a silver bullet (laughs) solution for that, but yeah, I could. Yeah. But the the method of mindfulness yes. training somehow yeah. helps with that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think so. And and what's interesting with the research on all of these, I call them restorative techniques because mindfulness is one aspect mm-hmm. of it. It's sort of a catch-all word, but there are many types of restorative techniques. Um, and, and that, yeah, and and lots of research on them. You could say gamma waves has to do with it. If you if you read Richie Davis's book with uh, Daniel Goldman, you could I have say, yeah. So you could say that uh, you could say just a sense of uh, contentment or inner peace, and that's certainly how it is in the more ancient literature, right? It's mm-hmm. described as this sense of inner peace uh, uh, of contentment, and so uh, whenever we feel that, um, we can be more open and and expanded to to. To, to seeing that we that we ultimately 
are more connected to things than often mm-hmm. we believe, right? And and that those opportunities are right in front of us if we're present to them. I have just one other question yeah. before we're going to have to wrap up. And it's sure. a question I've been asking all of my guests this year as part of my uh, trying to contribute to uh, raising consciousness about something that you started to talk about earlier, yeah. and that's compassion, mm. which seems to be in yeah. too short supply in our world <laughs> these days. Yes. So um, <clears throat> how do you s- aspire to bring compassion to yeah. your working life? Yeah. So to, to my own working life? Yeah. Well, it starts with compassion for yourself. So, I, I mean, and this is something... This is something Emma talks a lot about in, in her articles mm-hmm. and books, right? Uh, if we can't love ourselves, it's very unlikely that we can empathize with others uh, for us to be able to, if we, if we don't have any self-love, right? So that's one, that's one component of it. But I think uh, I, there's a threefold thing, which I, which I love on the, in the traditions that I've studied, which is it's actually fully being passionate, so giving our 100% in whatever we're doing, mm-hmm. then having full dispassion letting go of the results, and then having really compassion for ourselves, for others, for situations, how they unfold in our life. And so I try and keep a sort of multifold context like, because mm-hmm. we're, we're doing stuff. We can't always be compassionate all the time. Of course not. Yeah, so I try and see it in a spectrum like that, and those three principles have been very useful to me. Johan, it's, it's really been such a, a pleasure speaking with you uh, this evening and learning from you. I appreciate your uh, helping uh, to tune into the callers who, who joined us tonight. I'm grateful to you for, uh, for calling in. Uh, those of you who did, and sorry for those of you who we weren't able to get to, how can listeners find out more, uh, Johan, about the TLEX Institute and your work? Yeah, so they can go to www.telexinstitute.com which is our website. We're present on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And um, I also contribute for Forbes and uh, Harvard Business Review from time to time, Business Insider, Real Leaders. So I'm publishing on these topics regularly. Um, what's, what's your most favorite uh, recent article? I, I really like this one on um, uh, leading with freedom. I wrote an article on, on uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar from India, mm-hmm. th- three million person event, and it goes back to thing of passion, dispassion, and compassion. And so, I uh, that article is one of my favorite. It was published in the Nobel Laureate magazine that Real Leaders does. And uh, yeah, in in twenty seconds, if you could boil down to one idea that you want to make sure our listeners take away, yeah. what would it be? Sometimes to do more, you have to do less. Yeah, sometimes you need to lean in and also let go. Mm-hmm. And it's finding that balance that is dexterity in action. Dexterity in action. Johan, really appreciate your coming to the studio and sharing your wisdom with us tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with TLEX CEO, Johan Berlin. Fascinating man. And now, I'd like to challenge you well, to invite you to try one of his big, super simple ideas. Let me suggest three here. Become conscious of your breath. Just to calm down, pause, just focus on your breathing, even just for a minute or two. Or 
make a deliberate effort to connect with someone else. A colleague, a friend, a family member. Or find some readily accessible way to commune with nature. The goal, whatever you try, or maybe it's another idea that you picked up listening to this conversation, is to get closer ultimately to yourself. So, try one of these simple methods and see if you don't come to accept your reality, yourself, just a little bit more. And with perhaps a little bit more compassion. I would love to hear your reflections on what you discover, so please get in touch with me directly. It's friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.